Hey everyone, welcome to The Orchard Podcast with Amy Hughes and Rachel Hughes. We hope this episode encourages and inspires you today. Well, welcome to episode two of our, it is two, Yes, it is too. All had a panic then. In our third series of the Orchard podcast. And we're not in the studio today, are we? We're not. No. (laughs) We are, well, we're on tour. That's what we like to say. We're on tour, which sounds way more glamorous. It is glamorous because we are here at Trinity Church, your church. Yes. Um, With the girls and the boys, actually. We've got some good boys. Yes. But we're not physically at the church because you're on a weekend away right now. Yeah. And so me and Tim are the kids. We sort of snuck our way in. Actually, you know, you did invite us. Um, And so we're here and we thought, two birds, one stone. We're going to record an episode of the podcast here. So um, we've got a bit of an audience. You're allowed to say something now. (laughs) Oh, there we go. Hopefully you can hear them. Um, and we're going to be uh, we're going to be looking at Hannah from the Bible. She appears in one Samuel, right at the beginning of one Samuel. So we're going to be looking at one Samuel chapter one and a bit of chapter two. And we always say this that uh, if you can grab your Bible and just journey with us. If you are driving or ironing or running or doing anything that may cause you injury if you multitask by looking at the Bible, please don't. Um, but if you can open your Bibles up and uh, join us, because there's quite a lot of text here. We're not going to read it all through. Amy's going to give us a synopsis in a minute, but. Um, we're, so we're, we're, um, it would be super helpful on this week, actually, to have the text in front of you. And this whole series, really, is, um, is wanting to look at some of these amazing women that appear in the Old Testament, having done New Testament uh, last series. And the question that we kind of want to frame all these episodes around as we look at these women, is this, how does the story of these women's lives illustrate for us God's overarching desire to renew all things? So that's kind of like the big, like the big zoom out question that we're going to be looking at as we go through these episodes. And again, just a little bit of general context as we jump into the Old Testament, because it's important that we, uh, we sort of think about the way that we approach the Old Testament, I think particularly as women, women, because it's important to understand that we are reading the Old Testament through the lens of a patriarchal society. Now, that's not to say that God was sort of advocating a patriarchal society. It existed. That was the context within which lots of what we read in the Old Testament existed. And so I've always found this really helpful. I remember, I think it might have been John Mark Comer said, when you read the Old Testament, don't read these people in the Old Testament like kind of these examples of Christian virtue. You know, they're not like set up for us to say, well, this person did that, so let's do that. That must make it okay. And actually in this story, in Hannah's story, we see an example of polygamy. And people have sort of said, well, the Bible, that, that's sort of evidence that the Bible is outdated. You know, nobody thinks polygamy is okay, although apparently it's sort of on the rise again. Did you hear? Anyway, let's not going to that um that's for another day um but but actually what we see in the bible is yes there are these examples of polygamous relationships but most of in fact every time we see a polygamous relationship everyone's miserable like it's not like oh here's the way to do marriage have loads of wives no it's it was happening existed and yet by god's grace he's at work in and through it so important that we approach the old testament like that and also again thinking about this overarching narrative that exists across the whole of scripture that the whole of the old Old testament is pointing us always to jesus Uh, and so we must remember that that 
that we read the Old Testament through the lens of the saving work that Jesus does uh, in the New Testament. Final little thing before we jump into the story, just a little trigger warning really, because anyone who knows the story of Hannah will know that we're dealing with um, straight off the bat uh, infertility. So, So the the sort of the crux of the story is that Hannah can't bear children. And I guess we just wanted to say, really acknowledge that for, for women that might be listening, that might be really sensitive and really tricky. Um, both Amy and I have journeyed with friends through infertility and childlessness, friends that we know that are unmarried, that would love to have children that, that haven't. Uh, and it, it is a really sensitive and painful topic for people. So we just wanted to almost give you a little heads up. Um, what we discover actually is that Hannah's story is so much bigger than um, her infertility and her childlessness, but uh, it, it's it's there. It's there in the story. And so if that's something that's very sensitive right now in your life, just just to warn you. Okay, yeah. Amy. All right. So um, like Rachel said, and for those in the room, um, definitely go back and read the whole shebang um, and you at home as well. But I'm going to give like a, re- like a potted uh, uh, synopsis. Okay, so what we, for one, this is 1 Samuel 1 to 2. Okay, so what we know is um, there is a wealthy man called Elkanah um, and he's a wealthy Israelite who has two wives. And the first wife is Hannah, who we're going to be finding out a lot about. And the other one is Peninnah. <laughs> it was really funny because when we were prepping this, I was like, Peninnah. And Rachel was like, think of like pen in a hand. <laughs> and now I'm like, pen in a hand. It's really helpful. Yeah. Just can't say the a hand. Yeah. But the so just pen in a hand. And I keep saying hand. <laughs> Peninnah. Um, so Hannah and Peninnah. <laughs> and uh, and Peninnah has lots of babies. So one of the wives has um Uh, Lots of babies. And Hannah, as Rachel said, is childless. Um, But what we do know is Elkanah um, loved Hannah. And we're going to look at that in more detail. He he loved Hannah. Um, And Peninnah then deliberately provokes Hannah through the story, provokes her that she hasn't been able to conceive, she doesn't have babies, and basically sort of bullies her. And so we come to this scene where they've made their journey to Shiloh. Uh, to make sacrifice, to make sacrifices that they do then every year, um, and at this point of the scene where we get to in the story, Hannah is in utter turmoil. You know, we learn that she is weeping bitterly in this um, moment because she can't have children, and Penina is basically like bullying her, taunting her, um, and so in this moment, uh, Hannah then cries out you know she prays this desperate prayer to the Lord Um, and Eli the priest that we learn about in the story as well um, he sees Hannah's anguish he he hears the prayer Um, and actually as she as he even hears the prayer he is he thinks she's drunk you know the prayer is so outrageous that he thinks that she's drunk anyway realizes that she's not drunk um, and Eli basically blesses the prayer and says "I, I I I hope and I bless that you will receive um, what you want in this prayer. Hannah then gets pregnant as the story goes and um, uh, to Samuel. Uh, so he gives, she gives birth to Samuel. And when Samuel is then weaned, uh, she then brings Samuel to Eli, the high priest, and he lives, he basically gives her, gives him to um, the temple. And he is then, uh, he, he, she then walks away and um, gives him completely to life and service as a priest. And then Samuel becomes, as we know, you know, an incredible man of God. Um, And so that's a whole nother, another thing for another time. Yeah. But I mean, 
There is so much in, in there, isn't and there? Rachel and I have been like, "Oh, what do you?" I mean, we, we could have done it over we could have. Uh, a couple of sec- sessions, but, um, but here we, we are. Yes, here but we are. So we have broken it into a few sections. We have. So, what we do have. we learn first of all? Just, just that we have broken it into six sections, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I promise you, some sections are longer and yeah. some are shorter. So don't panic. Um, but it was just a way of sort of dividing up the scripture. So Did that all so, make sense? Is that was that clear? That was good. Actually, that thank was you. brilliant. Oh, thank I you. That was a thanks. brilliant synopsis. <laughs> Um, so section one, we kind of titled Unfulfilled Longing. And what we discover is this theme of unfulfilled longing. Make note of that. Unfulfilled longing it is key. It runs throughout the story. And it's it's the challenge to us. Yeah. That, that's, that's what we're going to dig into. So... Um, As we learned, Hannah has this really wealthy husband, not just a wealthy husband, but a husband who loves her. So in many ways at that time, in that culture, she was winning. Like she was winning in life. To have a husband that had loads of money and a husband who really liked you was like a big deal. But she hasn't got children. And so even in the context of her life, having all this good stuff, uh, there is this deep, unfulfilled longing within Hannah. Uh, and, and in some ways, it seems a silly question, like, what, why, why is she so longing for children? Because most women, potentially not all, but most women, it's probably fair to say, at some point have that longing for children. And what we discover, though, with Hannah is that it's not just, undoubtedly within Hannah, there will have been like this maternal yeah. longing mm. that we can relate to. But actually having children at that time, in that place, provided so much more than just sort of the, the nice warmth and affection of having a little one to care for and then watching them grow, etc. It, it was also, having children also equaled social acceptance because she would have hung around with the other women in the marketplace. All of their children would have been running around. It was very much a sort of a community context. Children would have been there in and around all the time. And so she felt that social exclusion probably most of the time. Mm -hmm. So there was that. But more than that, also having children provided sort of political benefit because um, essentially the children the males would grow up to become soldiers in the military and there was constant threat of war to sort of neighboring nations etc and so the more the more children you could raise up the 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 better you were positioned politically but it's more than that because children also gives you um, economic advantage because mostly it's sort of family business more manpower, more manpower <laughs> literally mm. more people to run the home etc so there, it's very loaded the fact that she can't have children and, uh, and she's missing out on a great deal. So she has this unfulfilled longing. And I guess the question that we want to pose, that we've been asking ourselves straight off the bat is, what unfulfilled longings do we have? Maybe you're listening to that, this right now and we just want to ask you now, what unfulfilled longings are there in your life? Because this is the key to Hannah's story. We all have unfulfilled longings. They may not be the same as Hannah. It might be that there are people in the room or listening and your unfulfilled longing is for a baby. That might be your story. Maybe it's for a relationship. Maybe your unfulfilled longing is around your calling, you know, a frustration that you haven't been able to step fully into what you sense God has called you. Maybe the unfulfilled longing is around your finances or some sort of material possession. Maybe it's around an injustice that you're having to live with. But again, the universal message, the key here is around unfulfilled longing. And then we jump into section two. Yeah. And I think even as we were um, looking at this and talking about it, you know, the, the key question then is, what do we do with 
those unfulfilled longings um, because we all have them to some degree, don't we? And, um, and I guess this idea that we, you know, what, what we do, we have some choices with the unfulfilled longing, which is obviously what we do with the pain of that. Um, and actually, we do have a choice, you know, to, to um, you see, don't you, that sometimes in that pain and in that unfulfilled longing, it's so easy to fall into bitterness um, or to fall into um, despair or even jealousy or striving. And actually, those things then, um, the, what we do in the unfulfilled longing, it gives us an opportunity to, um, for those things to take root, don't they? Um, and actually, what we learn in this story is, is really helping us to know what we then do. What does Hannah do with these unfulfilled longings? And then how do we, um, I guess, sort of learn from Hannah um, so we don't fall into it. We don't, those other stuff, that other stuff doesn't take root. And then we start living out of um, bitterness or we live out of despair and pain and all of that. Um, and so what do we learn? We, we basically see that Hannah has some choices. Um, you know, she has, uh, yeah, to, we think three choices that she has had, you know, that she's got in this um, moment. And the first one is to, um, is she knows that her husband adores her. She knows that her husband loves her so much. And so she could, um, I guess, try and get that unfulfilled longing met in the affection of her husband. You know, she can bet she could bend into that and be like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go sh really hard after the fact that I win in the affection category. You know, Penina isn't getting the affection, but I'm gonna gain that, and that's gonna try. You know, that's gonna fulfill this unfulfilled longing within me. Um, or the other choice is she um, could then strive toward this cultural ideal, which is to be a mum and a parent or whatever it is, you know, that she could go hard after trying to control and manipulate. And, you know, we do see, don't we, we were talking earlier about other places in the Bible where there has also That's been... That's what happens, yeah. yeah. There has been um, barrenness yeah. and... You, they've sort of taken that into their own hands. Like Sarah, Abraham, <laughs> Hagar, it's, it's that scenario. Yeah, exactly, it? where actually then you take control, et cetera, et cetera. So she could um, sort of do that. She could strive to reach um, these cultural expectations and fall into that. Um, but even, you know, self-pity. She could easily have fallen into self-pity and comparison and jealousy and, um, and even sort of fought back with Penina, you know, with the same fight, you know. That's what that I would have done. <laughs> like, literally, I would have been like, you know what, you get the babies, but I, I get yeah, him. Exactly. I, I yeah. would have gone into full-on fight mode. Yeah. I, I know I would have in the face of in the face of the taunting that she gets from Penina. I know, it's amazing. But she, she, she really resists that, and I yeah. think it's important that we, that we see that. And yeah. even like the... The husband's affection thing. I, again, I I really relate to that. I know for me there was that there was a time where for a long time where that unfulfilled need in me, I tried to meet that with the affection of of guys, mm. and that was the story. And, and then you sort of begin to realize, oh, this isn't actually meeting the need yeah. that I'm searching for. Yeah. So Hannah's kind of way ahead of the game, I think. Yeah, yeah. And so what we see is that. Um, what we're going to unpack is that she doesn't do any of those things. She doesn't she choose those. <laughs> she doesn't choose those. Um, there's, and there's this third option, basically. And actually, when you look at those options, uh, they're, they're, they're places of enslavement, aren't they? Yes, Where exactly. Where actually, I'm not going to allow 
she's not going to allow uh, man's affection or the world's affection shape who she is. No. In fact, she chooses a different option, which is ultimately freedom. Yes, because they're not neutral. That's the point. It's not like it's not like sort of um, directing that unfulfilled desire towards sort of her husband or trying to get it fed by her husband's affection or by sort of striving towards these cultural expectations it's not like those things are neutral like oh well they're kind of like a you know an okay second no they they entrap us they actually enslave us because anything that isn't fulfilled by ultimately Jesus which is what we'll go on to discover it's not neutral territory it actually just begins to tear us up enslave us bind us up So then there's this third choice, basically. So we're jumping into section three now. If you're following on, we're now in 1 Samuel 9, 11. And we come to the point where we hear this desperate, desperate prayer. And so basically Hannah's like, she's refusing to be enslaved by those two options. She's refusing both of those options. And instead she chooses this third option. And and I love this. Um, It says Hannah stood up. And in the story, we could quite easily just bypass that as like a almost like a stage direction Hannah stands up but but actually understanding the the Hebrew in the text it's 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 kind of an idiom a bit like you know the phrase um she put her foot down it's not like she physically put her foot down it's like she's like no I'm I'm not going to stand for this I'm not going to either of those options yeah I I refuse exactly and so this this idea that she that she stands up is her saying right I'm going to I'm going to take a different course of action I'm going to choose this third option and this third option is she prays essentially but she doesn't just pray does she this is like a big prayer not big in the sense that her words are clever or or manipulative in any way the the intensity of this prayer is the raw emotion Mm. of it and Mm. she's like god you 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 have to remember me like you cannot forget me and i think it's important that when we read this prayer she isn't bargaining with God. And actually, we both listened to this fantastic talk by Tim Keller. and We've stolen this next bit from him because yeah. it was just so profound. But actually, if, if Hannah was bargaining with God, then the sequence of events would be this. She would pray and then she would get pregnant and then the peace would come. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, right, I've, I've prayed. God's given me what I want and now I can have peace. But actually the sequence of events is different. She prays, mm. then she receives peace. Cause it says, it says in the Bible, yeah. her face was no longer downcast. So after yeah. she's prayed, she's prayed this anguish ridden, this heartfelt like gritty prayer. Yeah, no words, says her mouth was moving, but yeah. nothing was coming out. Exactly, she sounds drunk. It's so intense, this prayer. She prays the prayer. It's like she gives it to God and then it says, her face, it's like her face changes. She's no longer down. She has something to eat. Love her. That's my girl. She has something to eat and her face is no longer downcast. So it's like prayer, mm. then the peace yeah. and then the pregnancy. Yeah. I love that. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So yeah. the bargaining prayer is prayer, pregnant, then the peace comes. But Hannah's prayer is revolutionary because it's pray, yeah. peace, yeah. and then the, then the pregnancy. It's the power of... Um, it's the power of surrender, isn't it? Yes. And that's what that is, you know. Prayer, peace, pregnancy is basically saying, I am, give, I am giving this completely to you, no matter what the outcome. And the freedom is trusting 
that he was he's enough to carry it as opposed to yeah what the outcome will be is so hard but is the place of freedom isn't it absolutely and and actually her prayer i love her prayer because it, yeah. it's so intimate it's so honest and i i think i think sometimes even now, like I've been following Jesus for what, 20 plus years. And even now yeah. I can sometimes find myself getting caught up in thinking mm. that I need to pray prayers that Jesus likes to hear, mm. you know, that, that I need to speak to God in a way that I think he's going to like, like I'm trying to impress God. And, and don't get me wrong. Like, um, I, I want to impress God. Like I, I, I want to please him. But we should never stop that from bringing God our most honest, our most desperate, our most heartfelt prayers. Yeah. And the, the best thing we can do is sort of take all the filters off, take all the filters. He wants it. He knows it anyway. Like he knows it anyway. And I wonder if for some people mm. it's just a reminder, like bring him everything, bring him in your prayer life, bring him all of it, all the guts yeah. all the gore yeah. Yeah. all of it yeah. and that's what that's yeah. what Hannah does yeah. in this prayer and I was even thinking um you know as we were going through this I was thinking that um you know I in some ways I do you ever pray where you're like oh that prayer was a bit blah you know what I mean <laughs> where you're like oh I, I you know even praying for things that are really awful or things that are going on it's like oh you know I want to I want to be more desperate yeah Yeah. like I want to be more um yeah I want to pray like Hannah um and it is interesting that actually the only way that she's enabled it's like her greatest prayer comes from her greatest suffering oh that's good and I do think that actually we can be like I want to pray really well but actually I don't really want to feel your heart for that situation or I don't want to enter into the suffering of that but actually to gain the prayer Oh, of Hannah is to step into suffering. I feel like there's no other, there's no other way, is there, uh, for our guts to be moved enough to pray in anguish, you know, mm. to pray in, um, in that way. And so I sort of tentatively, I'm like, Lord, I, I want to pray like that. But mm. you're also saying, okay, lead me to lead me to your heart, which is a heart that feels the world suffering. <laughs> and that's hard. I, yeah. And I think um, we, don't, we don't like suffering, do we? Very, very much at all. And, and we find it, not only is it, is it hard from a personal point of view to experience suffering, but yeah. it's also hard from sort of a theological point of view, isn't it? Because yeah. it's, it challenges our view on God and it's hard to sit in it. It's yeah. just messy and complex. And actually, Tim shared the story at the Trinity Weekend Away this morning. So um, forgive me, those in the room that heard it. But he was talking about, there's this episode in the Chosen series, which we love. Amazing, if you haven't seen it. And um, there's this little scene where Jesus is sending out the 12 in, in pairs to go and heal the sick and cast out demons. And it, in, the, in the, cho- the sort of the, I guess the, the adaptation um, of this story in the Chosen series is James, um, little James, has this sort of mm. th- this injury to his leg. He has this condition where he can't walk very well. He's, he's walking with a stick. And he goes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, how, how can you send me out to heal the sick when you haven't healed me? Yeah. And in, in the Chosen, Jesus says to James, you know, the thing is, 
there is, there's lots of people, there are, there are many that can share the story of physical healing, yeah. God healing them. But there's another story that can be told, and that's of finding God yeah. even in the suffering. That, that, that finding hope, finding that this gospel yeah. works yeah. even in the context of personal suffering. Yeah. And I do wonder if we lose that, we're so quick to, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know, quick to get better. And, yeah. and it's not that God, it's yeah. not that God is okay with our suffering. It's just that he's in it yeah. and he uses it. And, and, and there's stuff for us within yeah. it. Like it reveal, it feels to me like he reveals a, a, a part of himself that is the privilege of the one who suffers. Yes. Um, and, I just it, people who I know who have suffered. We have a friend who's who lost a child at like a thirteen year old child, mm, um, yeah. and oh, you know, anyone to lose a child, anyone to lose anyone is awful. But it, there's a holiness about this person. There is um, that has grasped um, just the depth of God that you wouldn't wish that upon anyone. But in some way, she's met a God in that suffering that not many will meet. I think. Yeah. If that makes any sense. But I wonder whether this is what ha we're getting at here with this story with Hannah. Yeah, well, this, this person actually, she told this story. It's Ness, actually, a friend of ours called Ness. And I remember her saying, and, and I, I, I think she got it from a, a really profound book that she'd read around grief. And she said, when you're, when you're in grief, uh, you imagine sort of, you know, night and day and the, the sun is it rises in... Something. Something. Either I've got east and west wrong. It's always terrible at geography. Anyway, um, and she, the temptation is to walk towards the rising sun. You know, you, you, you want to just keep walking towards the rising sun, the rising sun. Mm -hmm. And she said, with grief, you have to, and, and suffering and pain, she said there's the, actually you have to choose to sort of walk east, I think, walk into the night. And you have to walk through the night and then allow the sun to come up again. Wow, yeah. And it's so counterintuitive because you're like, I want to get back into the sun. But in order to process the grief, you have to actually walk into the night. Yeah. I just thought that's so... Yeah. And the promise is, of course, that Jesus walks with us because yeah. he's done it. He's already yeah. walked yeah. walked into the night. Yeah. Um, so we're going to jump on to, we're, we're already at section five. Yeah, we're good. racing through. Oh, no, section four. Sorry. Section four. Gosh, jump the gun for a second there. So we're now once every, we're, we're looking at um, verses 12 to 18. And this is the moment where Eli blesses her prayer. So Eli sort of thinks she's drunk. And then Hannah's like, no, 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 I'm not drunk. I'm not drunk. I was actually just recalling all the times in my past, not for a long time, where, where I was actually drunk. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm not drunk. <laughs> when I actually was. Anyway, you probably don't need to know that. It hasn't happened for a very long time. Um, so she's like, I'm not drunk. I'm actually desperate. I'm, you know, and he, she, she doesn't actually share with Eli what she's prayed for either, which is interesting. But he obviously, because he's this, he's this holy guy, he, he, he knows the Lord. He, he obviously sees that there's something incredibly authentic about what's happening with Hannah in that moment. And he blesses her prayer yeah. and says, you know, essentially, I really, I'm praying that God gives you what you've asked for. And actually, there's a picture for us here because Eli is the, he's the high priest at the temple. And, and of course, that's a prophetic sign of, of who Jesus becomes. Jesus becomes, is 
the great high priest. And Jesus is in that role as the advocate, Mm. like the high priest at that time was like this this advocate between normal civilians and and God, like the the go-between. And that's what Jesus does for us. He ultimately becomes the the great high priest, this advocate, this go-between for us and perfect, holy God. And I love also that that Eli says to her, go in peace. And we've looked at this in previous series, this, 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 this word peace from the Hebrew shalom, which carries so much meaning, which is so much more than, you know, have a, have a restful day or yeah. have a great day. Yeah. Go in peace. It's this, again, it's this blessing which says, go and live an undivided life. Go and yeah. live a whole life. Yeah. Be made whole in his presence. It's, it's a beautiful little moment there with Eli. Now we really yeah. are on section five. Yeah. That's a beautiful intercession illustration, yeah, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is, it? yeah. Of like what happens with Jesus. Um, yes, so 1 Samuel 1, 19 to 28 is where we are, um, if you're reading along. Um, but then we see that Hannah dedicates Samuel. Um, so she gives him um, back to God, gives, um, you know, sort of dedicates his whole life to, uh, to God's service. And, um, and one, um, we were sort of looking at this and really... All the things that you reeled off at the beginning of the reason why she would want to become a mum for all those reasons of um, social acceptance, political gain and economic, um, you know, gaining economic um, help. Um, Because um, she dedicates him as a Nazarite, all of those things become wiped out. Mm -hmm. So um, all of those things in the cultural expectation, she wouldn't gain anyway Mm -hmm. um, because none of those things would work into fruition. So would come into fruition. So... It's like she's basically, and this is what Tim Keller says, it says, all my life, she says, I've wanted to have a child for me. Um, Now I want to have a child for God. And it's like what she's, the shift, whatever's happened in that moment of anguish to the prayer, to the surrender, she's basically saying, this is all about you. And I want to give my greatest desire back to you Mm. Um, and that's what we're seeing literally (laughs) embodied in this story and you could kind of substitute the word child for for something else all my life I've wanted to have this job for me now I want to have this job for you it's 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 an incredible posture. I mean, even just giving my children over to the Lord, it's like a daily task. Yes, <laughs> isn't yes, it? Yes, yes. Like, okay, they're not mine, they're I yours. Know. You know, everything is a gift. Um, well, it's really uncomfortable reading as a mum, yeah, isn't it? Is, it? That last yeah. bit of 1 Samuel 1, where she weans the baby. And, and I think children would have been weaned later. So I don't think it's like a six-month-old baby. I, I'm pretty sure he's more yeah. like a toddler. Is that how it works? I don't know. Pardon? Is that how it works? I don't I, know. I don't know. Is it, uh, I don't know. Somebody must know. Anyway, <laughs> I'm assuming that weaning just happened later. Okay. Let's go with that. Okay, Let's go. I'm, I'm going to say, weaning happened later <laughs> back then. And then if I'm wrong, somebody will be sure to tell me. So I'm thinking he's a little bit older, but he's not like much older. And she packs his little suitcase, I know, I know. takes him to the temple, and that's it. Because that's her word to like, the Lord. I read it? that, and I found it so uncomfortable 
because I would not want to do that with any of my children. And it is important to say, like, this isn't a parenting manual. You know, even thinking, like, when, when Isaac is laid out at the sacri- like it's not as a sacrifice. Like, it's not a parenting manual, this. I don't think God is saying, you know, pack up little Johnny's suitcase, take him to the local church, drop him off. <laughs> see you. Yeah, yeah, see you in 18. Well, see you. Uh, it, it, it's, it's very specific to the story, isn't it? But yeah. there is a message here, yeah. I think, for all of us, yeah. which is around handing our children to the Lord. Or any key relationship, like you said. that's true. Anything that you want to grip onto. Control. Yeah, because when we desire stuff, we want to keep it close, don't we? Because it's like, oh, I don't want to let it go because it sort of makes me who I am. Yes. Uh, When actually, yeah, to to receive everything as a gift and hand it over to him. But what we learn from this story is that's the place of freedom, though. Yes. That is the place of peace. Uh, When we're not trying to manipulate and control anything um, is I mean, is there are some freedom. days where I, I would really like to, <laughs> to give them to church. Yeah, yes. <laughs> See you later. 15-year-old. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, I, think, I, think, I think it's remembering that children are gifts. They're not yeah. our possessions. They, they're gifts given. But also they're not idols. Yeah. You know, I think, I, I think, again, in our day and age, there can be such an idolatry around there children. There is extension of our ego yeah, as well. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, how many... They slept really well. I'm amazing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my child got... Oh, sorry, just hit the microphone. <laughs> it's got 10, 17 A stars. It's not even A stars anymore at GCSE. No, I, I don't, don't know, know what, what it is. is. Nines, yeah. nines, I think. Is it nines? Yeah. Um, my children didn't get that because none of them have sat their GCSEs just yet. <laughs> but uh, I think, yes, it's easy to... It's t- turn them into little gods, yeah. isn't it? And actually, this this message for us is: we just have to keep handing them yeah. over, hand them over, hand them over. Um, okay, section six. We're in the final section. It's like the final lap yes. around. Um, we're in two Samuel now. Two. We flipped over a chapter. And we're just going to look at verses 1 to 11. And this is Hannah's prayer of worship. And we were saying, weren't we, that we could like do a whole episode just on this prayer. It's sort of rich with, uh, with all sorts of imagery and ideas and stuff that can inspire us. Um, but one thing that you notice is that there's this pattern that goes on uh, in, in the prayer that she talks about this reversal, which we see again at the heart of the gospel, the strong are weak, the weak are strong, the yeah. empty become full, the full are empty. And the overarching message of this prayer is that essentially God works through our weakness. He, he takes us, like with Hannah, at our most vulnerable, yeah. at our seemingly most empty most barren, and and he uses that. He uses that. It, it's not at our points of strength. It's not at our points of brilliance or competence that he uses us. It's it's in our weakness and in our emptiness. Will we ever get it though? <laughs> no, <laughs> not fully. I feel like we. It's so easy, isn't it, to value strength. Yeah. And yet every time I feel like every time we have a conversation, every time I read the Bible, every time I pray, it's like. It's always strength and weakness everywhere. Um, Yet some reason it's like we value the the strength of our, uh, you know, we sort of idolise strength. Well, it's the oxygen we breathe, isn't it? In the culture, it's... we just, every, everything we see, every, everything, everything we breathe 
promotes that notion, doesn't yeah. it? That the value, we were saying this in yeah. different contexts, the value system of the world is so, so different. Yeah. And I think we have to contend. We have to contend all the time, mostly in our minds, don't we? In our interactions, not to come under it. And this idea that strength is in dependence, as in yes. it's not, it's not um, you know, moral weakness, is it? it? Weakness is knowing that my strength comes from the Lord. Um, that's the that's the place, isn't it? Yes. Um, where He's yeah most powerful through us. But we have to admit that we're weak. <laughs> and and every it's, day. it's that thing as well of of finding freedom in the hardest things that. That if we allow, and this comes back to this unfulfilled longing, that if we allow God in, if we give it over to him, if we give the unfulfilling yeah. longing over to yeah. him, he can then work within it. And I was thinking, yeah. thinking about grief, because essentially Hannah is in grief for years, isn't she? And we can only assume that she was in that the grief of childlessness for years because Penaniah has lots. Penaniah, Penaniah. Penna, pen in her hand, um, has, you know, she's had a, a, a load of children. So we can only assume that she's been in that grief for a long time. And I was, I was thinking about a conversation that I had with a friend of mine just not long ago. And this, this friend, um, she's not a Christian. And we were ha- chatting about the fact that she had been through, she'd been through cancer. She was my age. And very unusually, she had been through um, a, a, a real battle with cancer. Mm. And she had, has been left sort of slightly disfigured by it. She's a beautiful woman, physically beautiful, but she's been left slightly disfigured by it and with ongoing sort of medical issues. And I was asking her about her grief, you know, grieving essentially the loss that she's experienced through battling cancer. And she said, oh, well, do you know about the stages of grief? And I was like, yeah, 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 no, I, yeah, I do. She said, well, you know, you'll know then that towards the sort of the, the tail end of those stages of grief, like one of the, the penultimate stage is around acceptance, accepting what's happened. And she said, but the final stage of grief yeah. is seeing the good in it, yeah. is seeing that there was purpose in it somehow, that there is, there is good that can come out of it. And, and, I, and she said to me, I don't think I'll ever reach that stage. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't say it. I mean, that could have been a really good segue into saying, you need Jesus. Yeah. Um, it didn't feel like quite the right moment. Um, but I did think, I wonder if you can't actually get to that stage of grief without Jesus, without the gospel. The hope of the heaven. The hope yeah. of the gospel. Yeah, exactly. Um, because that, that's essentially what Hannah does. She reaches this point of, and of course she, in many ways, her unfulfilled longing is fulfilled yeah. and yet she still gives it back to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, I think one of the things that's come to my mind, just even for those potentially who are listening or you guys in the room, um, <clears throat> I just love the, um, she's not, I think sometimes we um, ha- feel like we have to, even hide our unfulfilled longings or we it's wrong to feel them or there's shame attached to um, feeling that or it's like oh I'm not you know I need to sort of get over it and actually again it's like Hannah is like it is out there isn't Mm -hmm. it it is so honest and real I know we sort of touched on that already but um, I just think you know even like get really honest that the the peace comes after the exposure, you know, um, mm. and to just not sit in that hidden place. Um, 
anymore. Yeah. And then final, final thought, and then we're going to wrap up the podcast. And then I'm sorry if you're listening, but we're actually going to pray for the women in this room. <laughs> sorry you can't be with us. But um, Mary, Mary, mother of Jesus, actually bases her prayer. The Magnificat, which Mary prays, is based on Hannah's song. Cool. Isn't that amazing? Hannah's prayer, rather. Yeah. That this whole, this whole prayer that Hannah prays points to Jesus, yeah. points to the only one that can satisfy oh, yes. our deepest longing, the only one who can save. And, you know, just as we close, there's this bit in the story, you know, Hannah says to the Lord, don't forget me, remember me, remember me. And it says God remembers her. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think there's such power in that word. And again, I wonder if for people in the room or people listening, yeah. you need to be reminded God remembers. remembers you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't missed your pain or your longing. He has remembered you. He hasn't forgotten. And he wants to meet you in it. Yeah. Shall we pray for the podcast? Do you want to pray? Yeah. And then we'll pray here. Yeah. I'll pray. <laughs> you're on a flow. You're on a flow. Oh, okay. I'm on a flow. I'm on a flow. So if you're listening to the podcast, this prayer is for you. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come and meet with every single person listening to this. Lord, thank you that our unfulfilled longings are not hidden from you, that you see them, that you're not cross about them, uh, that you're not bored by them, that you're not irritated by them. But actually you see, you see, you haven't forgotten that you remember us. Yes. And I pray, God, that you would teach us, like Hannah, to bring these unfulfilled longings to you. That there'd be no bargaining, that we would release, that we would surrender. We would surrender to the outcome, Lord, and that, that we would allow you to come and meet with us within it, within the pain, within the grief, within the, the confusion. And I just pray for anyone who knows that that root of bitterness or or resentment, or, or, or victim mentality has kind of taken root, I pray, God, that you would begin the work of uprooting those things and that you would ultimately bring about the freedom that you died to bring us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks for joining us. And um, join us for next, next week, I was going to say. <laughs> next time. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow us on socials at The Orchard Women to find out more about everything coming up. 